Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. This is Valerie, co-host and producer of Demons Discuss, and we have something special for you this week. This is an encore airing of our All Souls Con presentation from 2020. That was, if you recall, the first virtual convention held in ASC history. This year, it doesn't appear like there will be one, so we figured we should share our presentation from last year on this platform for all to hear. Some of you may have heard this before, so to you all, stand by. Our chapters will return next week. This episode features our favorite scientist, Dr. Shelley Carter. Thank you, Shelley. And we dive into some issues that occur in the All Souls world, as well as our own. So please enjoy. Val out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our talk. Our subject today is the congregation, segregation, miscegenation, and eugenics. And with me today is Jean Siska. Hello, Jean. Hello. Angela Hutter. Hello. Our special guest today is Dr. Shelley Carter. Hello, Shelley. Hello. So we have three demons and a vampire. Yes. Again. Again. We write again. again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So where are we starting? I guess we're starting with congregation because that's the first part of our title. So the congregation, Jean, you want to take this on? Sure. I mean, the congregation is the starting point because that's where all of these rules and all of these concepts flow from. I mean, we've got a nine seat group, which now not only creates the law, they enforce the law, and they interpret the law. You've got all three powers sitting in a single mm-hmm. body of government. Yeah, when you talk about judge, jury, and executioner. There you go. And it gets even squirrelier. You've got this illusion of representative government here. The claim is you've got demons, vampires, and witches all represented. So that is their definition of representative government. They're allowing all the creatures to sit on this body. But then you have problems because you've got three little silos. The demons deal with their people. The vampires deal with theirs. The witches deal with theirs as far as investigations and policing. And the policing in this group, it's a total informant society, which is another bad thing, which we'll get to in a minute. The policing seems very arbitrary, too. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. The policing is not only arbitrary, but, but then when you think about it, too, even the fact that they've got three seats to the vampires, three seats to each of the types of creatures, there's still imbalances because no matter what, you've got one vampire seat that's always going to go to a Declaremont and they're always going to run the meeting. Right. Then you've got the witches. And the problem you have with the demons is, yes, they have three seats, but they don't know who they're representing because of the very nature of demons. I mean, demons can't self-identify to the same extent that you know if you're a witch, you're not a witch because you have powers or you don't. Or you come from a family who does. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, you're a vampire because you've been turned into one. Hard to miss that. Demons are at a disadvantage out of the gate because they don't even know the extent of the community that they're representing because so many demons are, for lack of a better term, in the closet. So this whole idea of representation within government, at a very fundamental level, it's not happening. Right. Something I just thought of on that, that demon piece, another thing mm-hmm. that we often forget Demons are not necessarily a lineage. So they often, I mean, you know, the books call out that Nathaniel being born to a demon mother was abnormal. He could be raised by a demon. Most demons aren't. So they have no generational history. They have no context for prior votes that the demons may have made or prior decisions that the demons may have made on the congregation to then inform current decisions. Or, or to inform their participation 
within their silo of the representational government. It's kind of a mess. Can I throw something out there? Just read a quote to you and then sure. ask your opinion. It's from Shadow of Night and it's when Knox is making his visit to Prague. And it says Knox had been making regular visits like this since he'd finished his doctorate and begun working with the congregation. Much had changed in their world since World War II and the congregation's administrative structure had adjusted to the times. With the transportation revolution of the 19th century, trains and roads allowed a new style of governance with each species policing its own own kind rather than overseeing a geographic location. So mm. they didn't always just oversee their own kind. How do you think it you think it was better or how do you think it was different having a geographic location? What difference do you think it made? I, I, th- I always have the feeling that they're geographically isolated as well. Like they talk about the modern congregation, they're insisting upon a Scottish witch to replace True. Peter Knox. Mm-hmm. You know right. Then Shelley's got a great point because part of the thing is you have tendency of communities to form in, in certain locations. And if you look at the real-life witch hunts, they were focused in very finite geographic areas. Right, true. You know, and, and I mean, if you want to extrapolate it to the story, it's like the, the witches all tended to live together in certain areas, they, like Trier or Scotland or... And then even in the advent to the New World, they all tended to congregate first in Salem and then a lot of them moved to rural New York or or moved to New Orleans. There, there were always... Mm-hmm. There wasn't was reading, geographic diversity. Right. I was reading about the witch trials in Connecticut Mm -hmm. that aren't publicized, but it was part of the show notes I did for a take 75 when I was looking mm-hmm. at the prominent names like Pratt. Oh, yeah. His family was tried in Connecticut. And so was Harrison, Vivian Harrison, her mm-hmm. family tried in Connecticut. I mean, there's there's a lot of little sectors besides Salem that was going through the same thing. And yeah, I, I can imagine within each community. And here's another interesting thing, too. You had another community, which is in southern in the southern United States and where Sophie's people came from in South, is it South or North Carolina? I can North never remember. Carolina. North, North Carolina. Carolina. Yep. Even though prior to the transportation revolution, they supervised people from a, on a geographic basis. I think they kind of still self-sorted mm-hmm. uh, by creature type as well. Well, back to when the congregation did it via geography, wouldn't that take some of the uniformity out of the crime and punishment, depending on who was in charge of that sector? Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you've got a, a, vamp, a vampire uh, managing a sector with a lot of witches or, or a lot of demons, you're going to have it's you're not going to have any even application of the rules from one creature to another, because I think you're going to end up having a bias. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all in all, it's a recipe. No matter what, it's a recipe for subjugation. Subjugation, I can't even say it. I I would think that when you're doing it via geographical sectors, I think that could be a plus or minus depending on who's in charge. Because you all know when you were in school, you had some teachers, they'd give you a hard test and those are the people and somebody else could be teaching the same subject and they're like Santa Claus, A's for everybody. You know, (laughs) Heck, it was law school. We We had two professors teaching corporations and one was just so, so hard. And then the guy that was teaching the night class was really easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we had a professor in, in a college like that, too. We called him Santa Claus because he's like, A's for everybody. Whatever. <laughs> what curve? It's all A's. Everybody gets an A. And, you know, yeah. It's that type of thing. So it would be uneven. I'm not saying it's the perfect world, but I think doing it where it's brought to the whole council and they decide collectively mm-hmm. would be on paper the better option for me. I mean, let's also throw this into the stew. One could argue that the 
Knights of Lazarus are a policing body, mm-hmm. but they're under yep. the control of Philippe or whoever the yeah. Claremont on the congregation is. Realistically, right. from a from a congregation right. standpoint, you're going to need the serving member of the Claremont family to okay raising that army and sending them out to do something. We see what happens when that's not going on. When Marcus is running the Knights of Lazarus and Baldwin doesn't have any clue what's going on. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, right. And then you have the one seat dedicated to that single family. In perpetuity. A family that's not going to die out ever. A vampire family, whereas a, a demon family or a witch family might die out. Yeah. How's that for a problem? A ruling class, for sure. <laughs> yes, I was going to say the whole representational government thing is, it's not even an illusion when you start, sit down and think about it. I don't know that it's sold as a representational government, but it has the optics of being fair, mm-hmm. just like that side chat with Gerber and Baldwin. Baldwin, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to yeah. at least pretend. Pretend, pretend <laughs> it's a representative democracy. Yeah. That's specifically on the TV show audience. Yes. So for you book readers, so you know. Yeah. When they were having that, it's like, we have to at least look like we're being fair. <laughs> you know. So they knew that was going on. They knew that this is not fair, but we have to make it look fair. Yeah. And I think the representation, like we have three demons, three witches, three vampires. What else do you want? See, we're fair. Yeah. So it gives the illusion of that. So I'm not sure which one would be better. I tend to lean towards the yeah, three members on each, even though it probably is not that fair. Do you think that some of the problems that we're, we're going to be talking about that manifest within the community through the enforcement of these rules, do you think some of that might have been avoided if they had put together subcommittees like a legislative committee with one witch, one demon, and one vampire, uh, an mm-hmm. executive committee with one of each, and a judicial committee with one of each out of the nine and, and form committees? Do you think that would have helped? Well, for a while, like I said, until someone figured out how to corrupt it. Right. Mm -hmm. True. Well, here's another thought I had to throw out here. This whole system was set up in response to the prejudice of humans. I mean, you end up creating an organization that is steeped in systemic discrimination as a response to prejudice. Like, what the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Not unlike what we're going through. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and, I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in this book seem to have an application in the real world. Yes. And I, I know they're trying to not be discovered, but you're having nine fallible creatures decide the fate of the many, which is scary. And I find a, I have a problem with the vampires because they have such longevity. I mean, look at how long Baldwin, Gerber, and Domenico are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the only- it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be any better with baby vampires, but yeah. no, <laughs> they, they definitely have the advantage. Yeah. They, they, they are the institutional memory. Yeah. Yes. The thing that is missing is basic accountability. Because think about it, when there's the whole kerfluffle and, and Emily is killed, the witches commit to punishing Peter Knox. And the congregation's like, okay, it's your problem, you handle it. There's no follow-up. Okay, this is what we did. Yeah, we, I, in his case, it's obvious because he lost his seat. But let's say it was a problem with someone not on the congregation. The witches get to say, we'll take care of it. And everybody else is like, okay, you go right ahead. 
So they really don't want to know. They don't want to be accountable for the group as a whole. Well, in the case of Peter Knox, it's like, oh, yeah, we took care of it. He's no longer on the congregation. Meanwhile, he's off the seat. and Now he's working with Benjamin, causing more damage. Yeah. He's still out there loose cannon. So did they really (laughs) take care of him? It's kind of like the presidential pardon in a way. It's like, okay, you can't do this anymore. But hey, go ahead. You're out free in society. Don't do it again. Yeah. (laughs) Bad. Right. Smack on hands. Don't do it again. It does uh, school punish, however you want to phrase it, Satu by spellbinding her. But was that her decision to make? I mean, she then was she's technically a vampire congregation member, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, do you consider that a personal vendetta or was she acting on the. Yeah. Was she acting in her on behalf of official capacity congregation? No vendetta. But the fact that Janet watched sort of. Yeah, that's true. Gives it the blessing of the witches, which is congregation membership. Mm. It's an imperfect governing body. That's for sure. Yes. And, and I mean, when you think about the, the purpose for which it was formed was to do three things. Well, one thing, to protect creatures from humans. And they did that by in, enforcing three basic laws. Separate the creatures so they don't draw attention to themselves. Don't get involved in human politics because that draws attention to themselves. And do not have mixed children because that draws mm-hmm. attention to the creatures. And it's ironic that you said do not have mixed children as the last one when I think it was the first one. Yes. Right. They sort of threw, it's kind of like attaching a, uh, the Hyde Amendment. You know, you, yeah. let's, atta- let's attach a ban on abortion to the budget bill. Yeah. And I know we discussed that on the podcast, but yeah. when they were talking about when Matthew and Diana found out through Isabeau and Sarah that the story of a baby that was born of a witch inspired by a vampire. I mean, they kind of swept it under the rug and then they, the Marcus brought up the question, well, when was the covenant written? It was like, oh, mm-hmm. shortly after this happened. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, and that told you everything you needed to know. This happened based on this. Now, the other stuff, somebody, they all, hey, let's throw this in there and let's throw this in there. Now we have a covenant. But the main reason was to keep these babies from existence because of what? What was it? Do do you figure it's fear of these creatures that are long lived and they have power now? Does that diminish the others? Do they feel? I mean, yeah, I will say if you if we if we think of what we know of these mixed children, what the books tell us, and we also look at what science tells us, this basically is the concept of hybrid vigor. It's the idea that if you are mixing genetically diverse populations, the offspring of those are often survive better. They reproduce better, they live longer. What it's um, a classic example that a lot of people are familiar with. Um, in sort of modern terms, is the liger, which is the offspring of a lion and a tiger. These are huge predators. I mean, these things are massive. And you would think if that's happening in the natural world, they are very quickly going to outcompete the parental population. They're going to, you know, be able to beat up the lions and the tigers. And so you have Mm -hmm. these creatures, including, quite frankly, these vampires who think of themselves as top of the food chain, suddenly seeing a, a, a predator that can defeat them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's fear. It's even essentially. It's fear within the ranks. Yeah. All right. <laughs> wow, that's a sobering. That's a sobering thought. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on to segregation, shall we? Sure. I have it broken down as segregation by law and segregation by desire. 
segregation by law is the law coming down and saying, hey, we have to keep everybody apart in order to keep the peace or, or for whatever reason, by desire is something that seems uh, appears to occur naturally. It's like when you go into what we talked about, you know, nice neighborhoods and you mm-hmm. rarely see people of color in there, but that's, it just happens that way. There are no laws barring people of color mm-hmm. moving in there, but it's segregation. They prefer it that way. Sometimes it also happens, say, um, within religious sex. True. Um, that, that say a temple or a mosque or uh, a particular church will go up and then the, the church, uh, religious community will tend to settle in that neighborhood. Or at least that, that's what happened in the fa- past before we got so bound to our cars. Right. Because it's you, true. You know, you'd have a Polish Catholic church go up in a neighborhood in Chicago and then the next thing you know, that whole neighborhood, that, that whole neighborhood's Polish. Yeah. And it, that was big with Catholic parishes. They would be self segregated by nationality. Yes. So, I mean, is it the law? No, but uh, like seeks like. Level of comfort, too. Yes. I mean, yeah, people like to be comfortable in their lives, and we all do. There's that. But let's talk about the laws. So we talked about the mixed creature children, and Mm -hmm. that was absolutely banned by law. Can we talk about how they had a law where, you know, vampires and demons couldn't mix in there or any creatures couldn't mix with the other. But how is it that Gerbert turned a demon into a vampire, which I think was outlined in the Book of Life, and nothing happened to him? How is that? Nobody <laughs> wanted to know. Again, they're no. right. Right. Yeah. Gerbert Ger- took his licks. He stopped being Pope. And then everybody's yes. like, well, he's he's not involved in religion and politics now, so we don't care what he's doing. We did a good job. We got him off the, out of the Vatican. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> us. Let's just not pay too much attention to what goes on from here on out. Right. And it seemed like it was a very open secret. People knew that he had this demon. Hello, John Edwards. I mean, it happens in Gerbert's, you know, he's a creature, John Edwards. He had that yeah. love, he had that side piece and that love tile and everybody knew about it, but nobody was going to say anything about it. <laughs> I think some of these add-on, which I call, you know, how we were saying in our our podcast episode that they just added these these ones on. As long as we're making rules, well, how about we just add these in too? But I think the legislation is there in case we need to prosecute you. But if we don't know about it, it's not really happening. Again, right. it, again, it's a question of enforcement. And when you've got vampires enforcing themselves, it's it's, it's very quid pro quo. It's like, eh, he's doing that, but I'm doing this, so I'm not going to raise too many red flags. I mean, a perfect example was when Baldwin is about to be beheaded in the chamber of uh, the congregation on the TV show. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. this archaic law and it was, it's been there forever and, you know, presumably someone else violated it, but never paid the price, but it came in handy then. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I also want to bring up this thing. This is specifically to the TV show where demons were not allowed to get together in groups. Now, what was the fear there, do you figure? I mean, this is pure speculation. I think it's in, it's inner creature. I really think it's inner creature um, discrimination, personally. That's, I think we got a, a little insight of that when Diana and Matthew were talking about like who the humans are looking at, and she assumes it's Matthew, and Matthew says, no, it's you. I think if you get that many demons together, like humans could not possibly ignore all the energy and the passion and the creativity mm-hmm. in that group. Mm-hmm. And they are probably right. 
less adept at hiding it than witches or vampires, again, because they don't have the generational knowledge. And maybe they just don't Mm -hmm. care to, you know. And they don't have the guise of family, you know, like witches, Sarah, Emily and Diana. That's normal for them to be together. Right. Their family. Humans don't always have that. They have to go outside their family sometimes. Yes. To find each other. I had the initial thought that when demons got together, maybe they would talk to each other as far as combining their talents. And maybe that was a fear, too, of combining their talents and saying, "Okay, you're good at this. You're good at this. You're good at this. Let's take over this joint. I think so. I thought that was a fear, too. I can see that. I can also see isolation as a manipulation tactic of the other creatures. Yeah. If we're not allowing them to assemble, they can't come up. They don't have power. Right. There's no Mm -hmm. strength in numbers. Right. Now, they explain the good side of not getting involved in politics because, let's say, you know, Gerber is Pope. He could be there for forever. It's a miracle. I found a miracle cure. (laughs) I'm alive for hundreds of years. But (laughs) the power of God. (laughs) (laughs) Praise Jesus. (laughs) But could there be a nefarious part of that? Was there a fear of one type of creature having a foothold in human law, therefore gaining power? I don't know. I'm kind of looking at it both sides. Think about the fact that the Claremonts all have French diplomatic passports. Why do they still have French diplomatic passports? Right. Obviously still have too much of a connection into the French government system. Mm -hmm. And nobody says anything about that. No. Ha. No, and it makes you it makes you wonder what kind of perks uh, Gerber and uh, Domenico are getting as well. I mean, but they were the two poster children for you don't meddle in uh, human affairs anymore between Domenico and Venice with the do- being a Doge and Gerber as Pope. I mean, hello, yeah, that's and Italy's yeah. always been a mess governmentally <laughs> and politically. We can blame the vampires for that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so laws in our society that we had specifically here in the U.S., mixed mm-hmm. marriages, miscegenation, school segregation, property ownership. I mean, yeah. there's all kinds of laws in there to keep. The, I, I'm not sure it's to keep people apart, but it's to. No, it is to keep. They were to keep people apart. Yeah, they, they were designed to keep. African-Americans who are perceived to be lesser than apart right. from white society. I mean, it is what it is. It's systemic racism and, it, and it's enforced through, it was enforced through the laws. And it's now nowadays it's enforced through the application of the laws, which is why we're seeing all of the, the problems that we're seeing. And um, I always had an internal feeling that school segregation was so there was no networking between the people because you get people together and you get to talking and find out about each other. Uh, friendships occur. Relationships occur. Everything occurs. And that's everything they're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. But the other yeah. thing from with school segregation also has to do with the budgeting for particular schools. It was a way of deny, uh, denying a full education, uh, a rich education to certain segments of the population as well. So if they're if they're not as well educated, uh, it's not just a matter of forming the friendship system. It's a matter of giving them the tools. Yeah. Which, which is what separating, keeping demons separate from the other creatures as well as keeping them separate from each other does. I mean, it, right. think, think about it at a very basic level. If the demons aren't allowed to congregate, it's not even a matter of them figuring out how to like come out on top and harness their powers. 
it, it also keeps them from learning who they are. It, it's denying mm-hmm. them and their heritage and it's denying them the ability to not, to, to realize that they're not quote unquote, I mean, in a community of others, they are the other. The right? other. Yes. Yes. True. And then there was property ownership too. They had all those redlining laws, right? Mm-hmm. Where I had a friend in discussion, you know, with, with different mm-hmm. people. I had a friend who bought a very old house and it's been renovated several times over, but she had got a hold of the original deed. Oh, it and, had res- uh, restrictions in it, didn't it? Yeah, it had the res- And she was shocked, like shocked, I tell you, shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, that's how things work. She's like, well, no wonder things are so Hell, crappy. The, the, original, <laughs> the original deed for our house over in Fort Worth, and, and that was a, a post-war neighborhood, had deed restrictions mm-hmm. in like the 40s and 50s. And I also told you the story about the GI Bill, how it was black men would go fight in the same war that white men would fight side by side. The mm-hmm. white men would come back and get their GI Bills. Black men were, you know, kind of um, not in your face. You can't have it. But there were so many hurdles they had to jump through mm-hmm. in order to get the GI Bill. And only one percent could. Wow. Based on. Yeah, it is. So basically they were not afforded. So if you can't get the GI Bill, you don't get your education. You don't get a good job. You you yeah. can't afford property, which adds to your family wealth. And it's systemic. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, and, and it's kind of what happens with demons here because they don't have they don't have the community support mm-hmm. to know what's normal, know what's not, and, and, and the ability to get an education. So yeah. it's hard. Another thing we had, uh, segregation by desire. Outreamer. Let's talk about that, Gene. Oh, Outreamer. Well, <laughs> the, the failure of Outreamer. Yeah. The utopian society where all three types of creatures would live in harmony. And to put a background, this is something Philippe desired. Yes. And then yes. instead we get the congregation. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, it seemed more like an utopia of sorts rather than segregation by desire. It's like kind of um, leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. But I also think segrega- segregation by desire in this case without Remer never would have worked because you have to work communally w- with the world. You can't just isolate yourself from the world. So, I keep thinking of people starting, you know, their neighborhoods or, or whatever, mm-hmm. exclusive, like uh, neighborhoods, neighborhoods I can think of, <laughs> gated neighborhoods and, and stuff Ugh. like that. Also, you know, when the lesser quote unquote creatures, let's say, like the black people when they started in um, Tulsa. Yeah. And they were thriving and outsiders didn't like that. And right. I, I felt like Outreamer could turn out to be something like that. If the humans turn around and say, hey, what the hell's going on in here? Look what look what happened with the Polish ghetto or not the Polish, the Jewish ghettos in, in various parts of Europe. They, you know, sure. yes, they were they were yeah. segregated into an area, but they worked within themselves and it wasn't self-segregation, but they built thriving, rich communities and all basically all that that quote-unquote isolation did was make it easier for them to be a target so we were talking about the outreamer and the utopian society and i wonder when that fell apart or well let me back up i wonder if the initial concept behind that wasn't just a creature utopia but specifically a creature utopia that philippe would rule 
And so when it fell apart, he's like, okay, let's do this congregation. Everybody just mind your own fucking business. I don't want to deal with you if I can't be overlord. <laughs> I, I kind of like that theory. Yeah, it's plausible. It, it, it's certainly plausible. And it, it plays into the whole observation by Fernando about Philippe was different after Outremer failed. Although he was trying to portray him as broken. I think he was, I, I think that was kind of colored by Fernando's right. yeah. rose colored glasses. But I mean, I kind of like your assessment, Shelley, that he's like, ah, fuck it. You people just. Go do your own thing because I don't have right. If you're not, I'm If I don't get to have all of my toys exactly the way I want them, then I, I, you take your toys and I'll take my toys. Yes, yeah, yeah. I like that. It's like a trap door. Yeah, I propose that probably fixed him versus you know. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like mm. sometimes what we think we want is not what we actually need. Yeah, it was like fixing Angela with that volunteering. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the volunteering thing, and I, I think maybe Philippe had the same problem you did. Angela, he I, over-volunteered. Yes. <laughs> Agree. Agree. It, it's very yeah. similar to what I have seen at work. Like, people think they want to be a manager until they realize the crappy pieces that come of being a manager. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. And then you thought that pay raise was good. It's like, oh, no, they're not paying me enough. Well, <laughs> that's, isn't that what happened to Robert when he took on the postmaster job? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Although he's been on pins and needles the past couple of weeks. He's like, they're going to fire me. <laughs> like, oh, my well, God. That's because he's being the postmaster hero. Yeah. Yeah. Making good trouble. Making good trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, good trouble also plays into the, this whole analysis. Yes. So just recap that. So you think Outremer was Philippe's initial plan that fell through and the covenant, you say the, co- the covenant of the congregation? Both. 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 Yeah. Were, they were kind of a product of his fitzio, semi-fitzio. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It was, so, it was, a, it was a, a partial fitzio. Got it. Okay. So it wasn't a concession to Philippe. It was just Philippe's plan B. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, fitzio is an acronym for fuck this shit, I'm out. Okay. <laughs> yes. Everyone's 2020 motto. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So in the creature community, do you figure messagination was uh, a desire for creature purity, maybe part of it? Or was it fear driven? Mm-hmm. Could could part of it have been fear driven because they didn't know what would happen yeah. necessarily what would happen because you had the brightborn baby story that we did here. The child wouldn't feed and it died. Yes. I mean, it, it could be a part of that. Or as Shelly and I came up with the one time is like, okay, what are you going to get with a, when we decided it was going to end up looking like Tahulu? God, I don't even remember what we were mixing that day, Shelly. Oh, Lord. I don't either. Were we drinking? <laughs> yeah, I think we were. I think we were. <laughs> Did it involve absinthe that you were hallucinating? Yeah, yeah, I'm not remembering. But yeah, I'm sure that we did talk about. I mean, you don't, you don't know. That's it's very similar to if we think of our understanding of genetics now and understanding of biology now. You know, previously there was always this idea of when we are doing selective breeding, we are certain traits, and we we are selectively breeding those traits over and over again. And sometimes it works well, and then sometimes you end up with French bulldogs, which are very desirable. They're very cute. I think they're gorgeous, but they cannot reproduce on their own because they can't give birth on their own at this point in time. You know, Mm -hmm. you have that inbreeding depression that happens. And if we think of when these things were first going on, probably, you know, the, the animal husbandry folks weren't sharing their information as well. And it wasn't understood what would happen if you do too much 
selective breeding or your you keep your breeding population too restricted even nowadays with dogs because they were breeding for uh white coats and and the fact that they ended up with so much deafness and collies because the golden white coats were so desirable but along with breeding for one trait sometimes you got less desirable traits that came along with it so i kind of jumped into this area of our talk without the definition miscegenation the definition marriage or cohabitation between two people from different racial groups especially in the u.s between a black person and a white person. In 1967, the Supreme Court had ruled unanimously that state laws prohibiting miscegenation were unconstitutional. Sexual relations between two people from different racial backgrounds resulting in the conception of a mixed race child. So there you go. As far as the human community, the one we live in, mm-hmm. and not too far, uh, like a year before I was born, 1967 ruled that this was unconstitutional. And I want to pull a little bit on that thread and talk a little bit about some of the history associated with it. So the University of Virginia actually has a really interesting history of eugenics, and it it gets very much into specific Virginia history. But one piece of that um, is in the 1920s, Virginia did pass a law that was called the um, Racial Integrity Act, and it gets to that point. You know, you cannot, you can only claim to be white, for example, if you have no other non-Caucasian ancestry. Well, from what we know of biology now and what we know of biogeographical ancestry, that's impossible. Nobody has only Caucasian ancestry. Nobody has only, you know, African ancestry. We are a mixed population, but it could be very easily based on phenotype and that idea of passing. And maybe that gets back to the reason why demons did it congregate or weren't allowed to congregate because as we said already they don't pass when they're in a group Mm -hmm. you know those those traits that they needed to hide their differences from humans are are too visible when they're together ah okay interesting and uh, there's a note here resulting degradation uh quote-unquote degradation of species, lack of ability to of procreation, losing powers, demons going mad. Can you speak on that a little bit, how that would work, I mean, scientifically? Yeah, well, that's the, that's the inbreeding aspect. So if you have just a small population continue, it's also, if we don't want to call it inbreeding, we can talk about founder effect or a genetic bottleneck. Um, and these are, this are two related concepts. When something happens to a population such that um, it's dramatically reduced. That's a bottleneck or a founder effect is where, for example, you have a sailor shipwrecked on an island. And so there's just a very limited population to colonize or populate a particular space. And as a result of that, you see some very specific genetic traits in those populations, or you see the propagation of specific genetic traits, which quite frequently are detrimental. We saw some of that, or there is some indication of that in like the Egyptian uh, monarchy, like the Pharaoh kind of monarchies, because they inbred a lot. Habsburg chin. Yeah, Habsburg chin. Yeah, that kind of thing. The um, hemophilia that was connected to 
was it Queen Victoria's lineage? Yes. Mm. Yes. I yeah. think. Yeah. But you, if you think about it, you know, the, the noble born, the, the ruling class tended to marry just within the ruling class in, in feudal times. And so if you were not able to marry within your own country, then you married a equivalent status of a neighboring country. You know, that's how. And after a few generations, they're all cousins. Right. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And, and then, and then they all spread those particular cousin traits. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Yeah. But now we've got within our story, we have Sophie, who is a demon born of a weaver and a witch. Is there a genetic concept that would pertain to her situation and perhaps trying to force its way out of an inbreeding dead end? That was a really in, in, artful way of putting what I was trying to think of. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking through that. And I, I guess arguably, you know, a blood rage vampire or a weaver. Are, they're getting really close to that concept of a hybrid and, and hybrid vigor. So they would mm-hmm. be kind of a, a reintroduction of different alleles into the population, or they would have a unique combination of different alleles, which could then pump some new life into a lineage or a particular mm-hmm. family line. So yeah, it could, it could be possible. Since her, I'm, cause I'm thinking since her father's a weaver, that has to have something to do with the fact that she's, she's a demon and not a regular witch. Or am I just totally off base? I don't know. I hadn't actually thought through it from the stand. Was it her father or her grandfather that was a weaver? Her father. Her father. Okay. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought through it. I, I had just attributed that to just a non-disjunction event. Nature is not the law's bitch. Is the rule at the end of the day. <laughs> that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. And, you know, nature, um, nature has a definite propensity for taking back and resetting to a much, I think, greater extent than humans are capable of doing or humans give nature credit for. Yeah. You know, I mean, we think, you know, I can take my local area just being hit by Hurricane Sally. Back at, the hurricanes have been around for a long time. We won't touch upon climate change making them stronger. We'll just say hurricanes have happened in the past. A lot of species have adapted to those particular historical and prehistorical conditions. So that is a way to like reset a local environment. Jack pines, uh, only release their seeds when they're exposed to wildfires. Now, these are normally wildfires caused by lightning strikes, not some stupid baby gender reveal party. <laughs> yeah, but, wow. You know, I mean, nature has built in mechanisms to compensate for the need for sudden and drastic resets. So it could be. That's okay. true. They did a lot of controlled burns around the freeway. It was maybe a month ago. Just so when the sparks started hitting our very dry grass, because, you know, uh, the whole West Coast was on fire. So um, it wouldn't ignite. But now that it started raining again, that stuff is turning green again and regrowing and mm-hmm. regenerating. It's it's amazing. I was like, wow, that stuff was just burned down on purpose and yeah. it's coming back. And yeah, I get it. So, and certain creatures ignoring this rule throughout time because they could get away with it. And again, I bring up Bear because I'm just like, really, dude? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like these laws were going to prevent anything from happening. It's just something for us to hang you. Well, but that's that's always been the case. Uh, let's yeah. think of Jefferson. You know, how many mixed race children did Jefferson have? Mm-hmm. A lot. Many. Yeah. Right. Everybody knew that was going on. Mm-hmm. It's true. It, it's not going to prevent it. It may just delay it and keep it under the rug. Yeah. Or people ignore it until they need to use it against them. That. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Which circles back to the whole thing about Gerbert and the demon lover. 
Right. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> well, that's how she, how they were described that's in, true. in the book. We decided lover's not a good word for us. Lover. Lover. <laughs> Hello, lover. Hello, Only lover. unless we're talking about shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of segues us into eugenics. And so the definition, the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Now, my question here is who decides what's desirable? That is always the big ass problem. And and what's desirable? Yeah. yeah. And what's desirable changes? I mean, think just about the standards of beauty. You yes. Know? Mm-hmm. Do you do you want waifs? Do you want you know well padded farm girl kind of shapes? You know, what I mean, like, do you need to birth kids and get back out to the field? You're going to sit around like having vapors. Well, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, can you talk to us about eugenics and uh, the I scientists? Can, and- oh God, this is this eugenics. Actually, is is one of the best illustrations of the fact that scientists are flawed human beings just like anybody else. And I think that 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 is often a problem. I personally, as a scientist, I see it being more of a problem with like medical professionals. I love me some doctors, medical doctors, but the other hand, they're kind of put on this pedestal by people. And I think too many people don't push back against their doctor and say, no, this isn't right or this isn't what I'm Mm -hmm. feeling. Scientists at times in history, not so much right now, um, are sometimes put on a pedestal of, you know, well, they're scientists, they, they know what's right. And so eugenics, actually, the idea of eugenics and the field of eugenics was established, if you call it a field, was established by Francis Galton, who was the cousin of Charles Darwin. And so, you know, well-educated family, everybody's like, well, obviously they know what they're talking about. We won't touch upon the fact that Galton was, in fact, a raging asshole. But he was very much into this idea of the upper class being the desirable group. Um, and eugenics was given a positive spin. And it, like you said, at Val, it was to increase desirable traits. But to a person like Galton, being working class was not desirable. You know, he actually had some some pretty uh, historic battles and, and worked to actively suppress the intellectual contributions of non-upper class individuals, um, including like the founding and use of fingerprints as a, a tool for individual identification in law enforcement. You know, he buried the the man who actually developed that idea and really brought it to fruition because that person, he was not in the, the upper class. And so he couldn't be an elite scientist and he could not be known for that. And instead he helped someone who he deemed to be more acceptable get credit for that by using his influence to get that man's work published. Hmm. Um, uh, a lot of that went on. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it did. And a lot mm-hmm. of it probably still goes on. But yeah, so, so Galton was the one that came up with the idea of eugenics and, and it has been perpetuated and, and given sort of a, a positive spin. We talked just a second ago about the Virginia Racial Integrity Act. The individuals who helped develop that and who actually ran some of the eugenic society in the U.S., they were actually like animal breeders was what their backgrounds were. So they were applying those concepts of, you know, selective breeding to humans. But Yikes. you can't. You I know, heard this was done in the slave trade as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, but it was always this concept of you have to set up this ideal human and and obviously the people who are setting these up they're the ones that are describing what an ideal human looks like and it always looks like them and mm. and the fact that we even there's even the concept of a positive versus negative eugenics is kind of horrifying to me 
Um, I mean, it's all, it's all just bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you look at historical studies, they do actually distinguish. And, and the only countries that are really mentioned when you talk about negative eugenics are Germany and the United States, because we were the two countries that had the most overt forced sterilization policies in order to support eugenics programs. Um, Elaborate, please. (laughs) Um, well, so we, you know, the Nazis did horrible, awful things, including sterilizing individuals and, you know, the subgroups and the, the societal aspects and the quote unquote races. I'm using air quotes that no one can see because there's the concept of race is not supported by biology. Um, the U.S. did the same thing up until, Gene, you might remember from a law aspect, but it was into like the 60s or 70s, I think, there were still laws in multiple states that allowed for forced sterilization of Down syndrome and people with epilepsy. I think it was into the 70s. Yeah. I mean, so that was still was going on the, within yeah. some of our lifetimes. Yeah. yeah. And, even, and even now, uh, it, it's more quote-unquote casual, but You'll find with Down syndrome's adults and whatnot that that they're not encouraged to marry. They're not encouraged to uh, engage in adult sexual relationships. So even now, they're still sort of, while they're not sterilizing people per se, Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly a drive to uh, keep them from reproducing. It may not be surgically, but it may be chemically. Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, it's ridiculous on a whole host of avenues, uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. as an unfortunate side effect of that condition, most Down syndrome males are sterile anyway. I mean, but mm-hmm. not all, um, you know, the, the women often have reproductive difficulties. Issues. Difficulties is a good way to put it. Um, but yes, compared to the regular population, when they do have children, there's a higher likelihood that their children will have Downs. But if we, if you talk to anyone who has a, a Downs person in their life, they're, they're wonderful, lovely, joyful souls. Who are mm-hmm. we to make that mm-hmm. decision that they shouldn't live? Uh, yeah. Live as fully as they, they are. Right. As they can. And they're. Yeah. A good friend of mine, she works as a music, music therapist with a lot of Down syndrome children and adults. And I mean, she's she's got some former students that have aged out. One is actually a parent. And yeah. it's a lovely parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, eugenics sucks. <laughs> yeah, eugenics does suck. But, you know, it, but talking, thinking about the, the words we say and the things we say, you know, I, I thought of this recently when Galton sort of developed the idea of whatever the ideal race, he said something that I have heard in my lifetime, which is, um, you know, he would say things like the, the working class or the dumb people are outbreeding us. You know, I, I know mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. heard, I remember hearing academics say, well, you know, the working class or dumb people are outbreeding us because we're busy and we don't have children until we're older. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's just a life decision. But those, right, yeah. those, that kind of coded language is still being used, and it all dates back to that concept of an ideal person. Oh, I've it, heard that, too. I've heard that, too. I mean, I've had friends and colleagues that said, you know, the breeders. And I'm like, yeah. oh, what? Hello? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Okay. But <laughs> uh, unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. Well, which is is when you turn it back onto this, this world we're, we're exploring. I mean, there isn't necessarily that kind of influence only because vampires sort of keep their breeding activity to a manageable level because they need prey. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't That's die. True. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the criticism and, you know, we don't know that if demons breed, you're going to be guaranteed a demon anyways. Right. Right. Um, and I think the only one that you worry about is witches. And even with witches, you can't guarantee that the powers will be passed on. So I'm not sure how they hope to accomplish their eugenics, if we're going to use that word, within this creature population. Right. By preventing the possibility of Brightborn. That's how they yeah. keep themselves in charge. Because again, you don't have any okay. clue what you're going to get from a Brightborn. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be more vampire-y and live longer and possibly longer than you? I mean, do we mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It's like variation with demons. You don't know if you're going to get a demon or not, but with Brightborns, you don't know what combination of traits you're going to get either. Right. And it's almost assumed that it's more powerful though. Yeah. Right. That's what I was going to say. That's, that's the key difference with a demons are, or let's assume demons are a roll of the dice. Mm -hmm. No matter how brilliant they are, they're still controllable by a vampire. Mm -hmm. A Brightborn is a roll of the dice, but importantly, the dice may actually come crush you. You know, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> because it might be the, the the dice might not be controllable by a witch or a vampire. Right. Yeah. So you, so you have a weaver for mother and a blood rage dad. Who knows what's going to happen? I guess 2020. We'll to, 2020 happens. For the next, uh, we're going to have to wait for the next book, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anything else on these heavy subjects that we covered today? I guess we should touch on the importance of tolerance and acceptance. Mm. Mm. Yes, because we are all the same. Yes. It's it's true. You know, I mentioned that there's no, there's no biological backing for the concept of race. If you actually look at genetic diversity, there are more differences within what we would consider a race than there are between races. There's more differences within, let's say, you know, uh, an African population as opposed to between an African population and a Caucasian population. Mm. Taken as a whole, the Caucasian and the African population are more similar to each other than individual members of the Caucasian population are to each other. Interesting. I mean, that's just from what Shelley said, that's my takeaway. It's to simplify it, we're all the same. And the title of our discussion are all man-made institutions. These all are impositions yes. of what, how we, how we place onto people. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything we can take away from all of this is that nature's going to find a way. Is that our happy ending? Nature will find a way. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Goldblum. I was looking, I was actually looking at a fabulous article this morning, um, from Atlas Obscura. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was about the, how nature is reclaiming Pryat, which was like the command center in Chernobyl and their like utopian city they had built. Like the, the images are stunning. And as a person who right now would gladly burn down most of the planet, I like to see that nature's going to take it back. You know, when we get done yes. having a mess of it. <laughs> yep. Right. Exactly. Like you said, right. a reset. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> best. Nature is self-cleaning. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> she may just clean all of us out. So what's your over-under on that, Shelley, as far as cleaning us out? I mean, we were talking about Philippe's uh, epigraph in the Book of Life, the ones that are most adaptable to change as far as it, could that apply to humans, do you figure? Absolutely, it could. So um, when we look at populations, populations are controlled normally by density-dependent factors or density-independent factors. So automatically, there is a limit to how big a population can get. Most animals, if you will, let's just take animals, they're going to run out of resources. They run out of places to live or they run out of enough prey. Humans think that 
we are capable of getting around that because, you know, we can do hydroponics and we can grow with lots of extra fertilizer and we can build sky rise apartment complexes. But at the end of the day, it's going to bite us in the ass somehow. We are not going to be able to get around every density dependent or independent population control. I don't want to be kind of alarmist, but there is some ability to consider that COVID may be part of that. You know, that's mm. uh, fundamentally the fact that we are live on top of each other is what's contributing to that, the disease right. spreading and that we're right. too stupid to take basic precautions, but we don't touch upon that. Well, particularly, uh, where we're at. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Right. There are some populations managing that. New Zealand. Hello. Right. Uh, but uh, we can't, we're not getting our stuff together enough. And part of that, I believe, is leadership. Part of that is ourselves. Part of that is lack of common sense. Come on. So the lack, the lack of common sense may be our density independent factor that ultimately pulls, pulls down humanity, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Thus all the Mars movies, you know, that's why people are talking about populating Mars. Uh, uh, all the movies we have, oh, we'll have another place to go after we're done trashing this place. But I, I hang in there. <laughs> That's all I can say. Stay tuned for more. Yeah, stay tuned. That wasn't my happy note. Uh, my happy note was... <laughs> sorry, sorry. I drag us down into the unhappy. <laughs> my happy note is that we have the technology to be able to talk to each other and kind of socially distance those of us who are doing it properly. So I'm glad that's there so I can talk to you all. Yay. Yay. Absolutely. We all just need to accept that it's time to consider doing things differently. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of things differently. You know, it's, it was, I know there were a lot of, uh, press articles right when various countries underwent lockdown procedures that showed how the environment made very quick yes. res- improvements. Recovery. Yeah. Recoveries. Yes. Oh. When we come out of this, because we will eventually come out of this in some form, we don't go back to where we were. You know, we need to learn these lessons. We can't go back to we where we were. We need a new normal. Yeah. 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 Angela, you're happy? You're happy well, ending to this all? That we have the power to, I mean, yes, we talk about nature finding a way and that is ultimately the truth, but we also have the power to make change too. And what I said before is that, you know, all of these man-made impositions, I mean, Individually, we can decide to change. We can, you know, and I think mm-hmm. we've talked about it a lot in our after shows and our regular podcast episodes on being part of the positive change, one person at a time. Absolutely. Jean, you're happy. My happy uh, yeah. acceptance that we're all learning more and more about ourselves, and how to be more accepting. And I think not only do the books teach us that, but what we're living through right now in some ways is teaching us that to ex- accept and, and roll with the changes that are happening. You know, as much as we, as much as I, I want to speak for you guys, as much as uh-huh. I slag on the younger generations, um, Valerie, you and I were talking just before this and we were saying how young people, my daughter, your daughter, grab a young person and yeah. see, see how their mindset is just so accepting. It's just their way of life. It's just their mindset. It's just the way they think. It's all they know. Uh-huh. Um, they're not trying to swim against, uh, you know, the, the grain. They're not trying to swim upstream. Um, and it's enlightening, actually. To, and it's refreshing is one of my whole point, too, that how accepting they are. Yes. Yes. Non-acceptance is taught. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Shelly, you're happy. My happy is 
trying to make a silver lining out of everything. I think it goes with what Angela and and Jean were just saying, and that is deciding what we want the new normal to look like and deciding what we think is acceptable. And, you know, I know, um, you know, people with children that are older than mine were faced with, well, they, these certain rites of passages didn't happen because of COVID. We as a society are the ones that decided that those were important rites of passages. So we need to decide that something else is important. Well, living. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, living. Um, yeah, living. But I mean, you know, I, I can, uh, what I did experience, you know, my daughter finished kindergarten last year and, and, uh, I observed an exchange in which other parents were complaining, you know, electronically that, well, mm-hmm. the kids were losing out on graduation. And I'm like, they're in kindergarten. They don't know that they're they supposed that. to be a graduation <laughs> ceremony. You are the one making a big deal about this. And if you don't bring it up, they will never know that they missed some right. dog and pony show. Like it's not going to be a big deal to them if we don't push our preconceptions no. onto them. Yeah, so. right. That's totally true. I, I go through the same thing with my daughter and starting high school and she's having a fabulous time. She's, you know, enjoying her teachers via Zoom. She goes in two days a month. Fantastic. I don't tell her what she's missing. I mean, no. right. why? What's the point? <laughs> it's basically the parents' morning photo ops. <laughs> it's yeah. like our uh, fireplace mantles won't look like our parents as far as prom dates, as far as graduations, as far as all the little milestones that we like to snap pictures of. Ours is going to be Zoom meetings and selfies and big signs out in front of your house saying I graduated class of 2020 and stuff like that. So we have to learn how to celebrate that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that being enough for now. Or just being enough. Yeah. Yes. Better people. Different isn't bad. (laughs) Like Angela says, do better. Do better. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You always have enough toilet paper. <laughs> oh, and on that note, on that note, I think we're going to conclude our discussion. Thank you, Shelly, for joining us. We couldn't have done yes. it without you. Thank, thank you, you as always, for inviting me. And thank you, listeners, for joining us at this virtual con. Yay! Woohoo! We'll see you All in right. person soon, we hope. We hope. We hope. All right, guys. See ya. Mwah.